When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? You are going to love this particular episode. I'm interviewing Corey Grimm, my brother-in-law, but he's not just my brother-in-law, and I'm not bragging just because he's my brother-in-law. I think Corey is probably one of the greatest unknown uh, songwriting talents in the state of Iowa. He is, the only person I can even put him close to is Beck. In that, not that his music sounds exactly like Beck, but in that he can do virtually any genre of music and i have never and you know they always say like oh you do a lot of things not so well no no no. this guy can do all different types jazz 70s style funk reggae almost any style and he manages to master it in a way that is is good and unique and you haven't heard it anywhere else so we're going to share some of the music from Corey, but we're also going to talk about a period of his life when he transitioned to haiti he and his wife lynn spent one year in haiti and we're going to explore that sort of process that the taste the sights the sounds of haiti the culture we're going to get into voodoo we're going to get into the intersection of he was there as a missionary the struggles he had as a missionary the difficulties the reflections he's had on that so this is part of our ongoing series. You know, in our previous episodes, we've discussed the Billingsleys in Singapore. We've discussed Jason Zaborski, uh, my friend of law school who went up to the Northwoods and decided to leave the practice of law. And Corey is also on the other side of the looking glass, as it were. Uh, he made a big, huge transition to Haiti, um, did a full year, and now has had some distance since that time. So it's our opportunity to sort of reflect on what that year meant with him not only the year that he did experience, but what it, what it means sort of going forward, how it affects the trajectory of his life. And I think you'll find some surprising insights. We're going to feature some of Corey's work. We're going to talk about some of his favorite books. And check out rockneycole.com. We're going to put all of the information we put in here. We're going to put it in the show notes so you can... Uh, click on the, the books he's recommended. We're going to share some links to some of his music, his website, basically all things Corey Grimm. And I'm serious. And we're, we're going to talk about a little Midwestern cuisine and share some recipes that like will make you exhausted, but will give you pure pleasure. Um, these are not health foods, um, but you're going to love them. Classic Midwestern cuisine. We're also going to share some Haitian recipes on the, on the link at rockneycole.com. So stay tuned for this episode of the Rockney Cast interviewing the Beck of Iowa and also my brother-in-law, Corey Grimm. Corey Grimm, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Fabulous. Oh, it's a beautiful spring day and I'm just sort of soaking up the spring. It's as beautiful in Primgar as it is in Iowa City. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it, it's the sunshine makes a world of difference. I think you were the one telling me about that. So I've been noticing that. It really is. And, and I also discovered too, Corey, you know, I'm going through a lot of different things during my midlife crisis. I'm doing fasting. I'm doing the paleo movement. I'm doing stoicism and journaling. And one of the things I've really learned about is natural light. And I, I've also discovered that I'm like a paleo Christian. And 
ancestral people <clears throat> loved natural light and it just really reminded me we really need to get out and soak up the rays of our creator so that's my uh reminder to you today is to get out and enjoy that sunshine so i'm glad it's really beautiful there in primgar iowa yes so primgar iowa it's the only primgar in the world i understand right yeah yep it's just a, a acronym of the eight people families that started this town and they just decided to come up with that word so it'd be interesting to know their stories of you know what their professions were and Exactly. All that stuff. Yeah. Well, this is it. Even in places like Primgar, you wouldn't think that it would be this exotic location, but everyone has these incredibly interesting stories. And, yeah. you know, Corey is not only a really interesting person, he's a pastor, he's a songwriter. Um, I think hopefully he's the future member of the Grimm Brothers band. Um, he's just an all around really good vibe guy. But he's in Primgar now, but I think why I had him on this podcast is I wanted to ask about this amazing experience he had in Haiti. Um, he served as, as a missionary for one year in Haiti, and I thought it'd be a great opportunity to sort of explore that year. Um, Friends of the Rockney Cast, you know that I've done previous podcasts on Jason Zaborski, on the Billingsleys of Singapore. Uh, we recently did a podcast on Toussaint Louverture, and it really got me to thinking Haiti is this really miraculous place that touches so many different souls. And I remembered, oh my gosh, my brother-in-law spent a year there. So we're going to sort of explore your experience in Haiti, Corey, um, both leading up to it, your experience there and some reflections after that, um, because it really was sort of uh, uh, an amazing experience. Uh, so let's just sort of get off and, and ask you, what was sort of your first connection to Haiti? How the heck did it from Iowa get connected to this beautiful exotic location in Haiti and in the Caribbean? Well, I was working at a church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and there was a family from this church who had been going down there for years um, to kind of a remote rural area in the south of Haiti and had been um, trying to make sure that kids could afford to go to school and have kind of the supplies they needed to get their education and try to fill some of those gaps. And they would go there, you know, just on week long trips and get to know the people in that village. And over time it had built up to quite a, mid, a bit of administrative tasks that went into, you know, distributing those supplies and, and making sure the kids get into their schools and whatnot. And, um, and so over time, they built a kind of a nonprofit and organization. And then lots of different people from this church were going down on, on trips down there. And sometimes they would find, uh, you know, nurses and doctors to come and do kind of mobile clinics and um, different specialties that people have that could help out down there. And then um, I, I went on one of those trips, I think, for the first time in 2009 and um, just really enjoyed uh, the people. And the countryside was completely different experience. Oh, yes, yes. I, I, I just, what I want you to do though, Corey, is I want you, whenever I've gone to Latin America, I always love that feeling that you get when you just land and you step out of the airport, uh, the smells, the sights, the sounds, <laughs> the experience. So I want you to take our listeners to that very first time that you got to Haiti what, 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 what did you experience? What did you see? What did you smell? 
go back to that moment when you just opened those doors out of the airport and stepped into the world of Haiti. What did you see? Well, even just moments before that, as you are looking out the windows, flying over Port-au-Prince, and just seeing the colorful slums all around you, um, the different colors of tin and whatever that make up, and kind of the haphazard formation of these homes um, around the city is really kind of um, so different, you know, from what we're used to. But also you just imagine the people who are living their lives there and the relationships. Um, and it's kind of fascinating to think about. And so you're taking that in as you fly over the city and then you land in an airport, probably the size of um, like, uh, you know, a Sioux Falls, Sioux City, Des Moines type airport that maybe has 10 flights a day or whatever. And, um, you know, on the single runway and you pull in and then um, uh, the the at this time, this was before the earthquake. So you would go down to um, through the hallways towards the baggage claim and they have little um, bands that play as um, people come in. Uh, Are just you for, serious? Yeah. Oh for, my gosh. Is it like Caribbean? Tips. Yeah. Like Caribbean good vibe music? <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you, you buy can... any CDs? Did you buy any CDs or anything <laughs> like that? I don't remember that they had CDs. Um, oh, okay. Well, now if you'd had your smartphone, you would have captured eh. it. So we would have been able to share that. <laughs> so when you go back again, because I know at some point you will, uh, you, you got to really, sh- maybe, hey, I got a good idea. I want to do a <laughs> travel podcast. We'll do a Rockney cast from Haiti. Are, are you are you on board? Sure. Yeah. The... <laughs> and, and we'll make your mom and dad pay for it. How about that? <laughs> Norman Marlis, you are footing the bill for Corey and I and family to go to Haiti. We'll do a grim family reunion down in Haiti. Is that a deal? Yeah, that sounds good. We have Perfect. to rent uh, a fleet of uh, Range Rovers while we're down there, too. So yeah, that's, exactly. that's going to be factored into the cost. So you get this music, which to some degree, there's a little bit of an artificial flavor, I think, when you have, uh, you know, in the airport. They're, they're obviously catering to tourists as far as that goes. But also, tell me about some of the smells and the food and the <clears> colors <throat> that you see. So you hear this music. What else do you see and experience when you're when you just enter the world of Haiti? Well, yeah, smells is a key. You know, as you go through the city, um, that mixture of heat uh, hitting the pavement, mixed with the fumes of diesel trucks that are probably don't have um, their emissions set up properly and. Al Gore um, probably would not love their, their <laughs> technology, I would guess. Yeah, these are trucks, you know, that were abandoned from other countries probably 20 years ago, but they can keep them running down there. And then yeah. just the the street food, you know, that smell comes in as you go through the, you drive along the markets, um, you see people selling um, all the fruits and vegetables, but also, you know, raw meat just out in the sunshine on on tables. And all those smells come to you. Even today, if I'm just, if it's the dead of summer and a diesel truck drives past me, it kind of takes me back. Um, diesel those... plus meat, that reminds me so much <laughs> of Latin America because there, yeah. it, it is, it's almost intoxicating uh, where you get in and you smell, you, you essentially smell the, you know, the, the exhaust, the, the uh-huh. food, the people. Um, and it's just this incredible vibrant culture. And I think so much of our modern culture we've become where everything is so separated and everything's so sanitized and people aren't living their lives. 
And so, but then you also, I know that you really, you ended up, so this is your first trip in 2009. Two years later, you are essentially going to spend a year there. Yeah. So I'm sure you also, just the people, you obviously were entranced by the people, <coughs> the, joy, the joy de vie that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your observation? Did, did they seem energetic and, and, and joyful or... Would yeah. You describe a little yeah. bit what you observed in terms of the people as they were moving about their daily business in Port-au-Prince. Well, um, you know, Port-au-Prince for me was just the place where we would land and travel through. I can't claim to know the culture there as well. We lived in a rural uh, village five hours from the city. And a, which, a, a good... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. A good friend of ours, um, he explained to me once that you could probably divide Haiti into three distinct cultures. There'd be the people of Port-au-Prince, you know, especially the ones that are connected educationally and politically. And um, then there's people of the rural areas, but they live along the main highways and and engage in the commerce and um, get their education and whatnot. And then the people of the very um, rural uh, mountains, subsistence farmers and so forth. So really three distinct cultures. And, and we were mostly immersed in the second and third of those. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah. And so ultimately, you were in an area that was five hours from um, Port-au-Prince. Yeah. What was the name of the region? And geographically set our listeners or describe for our listeners where you would have been in Haiti. Yeah, so Haiti, um, you know, people from Michigan will appreciate this. You could make, you know, hold up your right hand and um, <clears throat> face the palm away from you. And that thumb, as your thumb sticks out, that's kind of a peninsula that goes west and south of Port-au-Prince. And we were way out on the tip of that in kind of the region of St. John. And um, that was kind of the capital of our little state, the south there. And also uh, a pretty sizable city called Lakai. They would just call it Kai's there and which just means the houses and um that that was a town of probably 150 200,000 that we lived a half hour from in a little village called T Riviere which just means little river and just probably a, a a village of a few thousand people though you wouldn't you know where's the downtown where's the you know it's kind of just all rural area people living kind of having little farms through there Oh, so, wonderful. Yeah, right along yeah. the ocean, though. So, oh, um, yes. And so when, when, when you get to the location, like I remember, I, I think one of the great things about travel is that first experience when you arrive to a new location, like what you visually observe. So you've described what you observed when you were in Port-au-Prince, but now you're, you're close to the ocean. Describe what you see in terms of the sea and the sights and the smell of, uh, of, of that particular region. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when you live in a village like that, um, it's going to be um, pretty homogenous, you know, ethnically. So everyone is kind of um, people that have grown up there their whole life, um, descendants of Africans, as, as people would know, um, in Haiti. The, the, there once was a native population there, but they kind of died off um, in the 1700s, 1800s. And so it's really just um, African descent people. Um, if you see any other white faces, it's probably somebody on a mission trip or something like that. And that's pretty rare once you get out that far. And so as you walk around and meet people, you know, you really stand out 
oh man and people are very curious to meet you and and you know in a country like that they have a natural curiosity about france and and the u.s and other countries like that and um so you know you you, it helps to be an extrovert for sure because people want to talk they want you know life is lived outside so people are not just in their homes like in the u.s with the doors closed you know they're in the yard they're on the street talking they're doing their work people talk about unemployment in a country like that and that is a real concern but people nevertheless work all day um, doing the tasks that are needed to keep your household going and raise yes, so yes. It, but they I, make I it mean, into a I, social I, engagement whatever they're doing yes. you know? and, yeah. and, and and if you could and, and i think you know the, the sort of the pitfalls i think of you know any any um person from a different culture is I think sometimes we either idealize or, you know, culture, or I'm sure that there's obviously ups and downs, but from what I've observed in in terms of why people love Haiti so much, I mean, it's the people, it's the food, it's the culture, but correct me if I'm wrong, Corey, I've never been to Haiti, but isn't there this sort of joy de vie, this joy of living that that's experienced amidst (coughs) so much poverty and deprivation? Like, what did you observe were you welcome did you really observe this amongst the people in terms of feeling welcome like what was your welcome when you received there when you when you went there yeah for sure the um always welcomed um i could walk up to any house out in the countryside up in the mountains and they would it might immediately invite you in and sometimes even go to great lengths to offer you hospitality I, i just remember this older lady Walked up to her home and just introduced myself. Had a couple of guys um, along from the village. And and right away she said, I want you to sit down and I want to prepare a meal for you. And I'm going to prepare my goat. You know, this is like her one livestock that she'd been saving for who knows what. That's, you know, kind of a source of wealth or savings. And then she yeah. wanted to prepare it and um, other fixings for a meal. And I, and I knew... you're put in kind of a tough position in those situations because you know you don't want to reject someone's hospitality because they that means a lot to them to be able to give that um and have a a international guest in their home but at the same time you don't want to deplete all their their wealth and so those were always hard situations but definitely you know the hospitality the joy of life but for me the experience got really rich when people would open up to us about more of the challenges and um and yeah right away you experience the smiles the joy the singing the music um as you dig in and and make you know deeper friendships it was actually kind of refreshing to me if if someone would uh come and say something like you know sometimes you americans do more harm than good um, with with your efforts here in the country and for me that's absolutely it's like yeah. it's it's like okay now we can have a real conversation about how we could work together and get real feedback about the things we're doing that aren't helpful and things like that and so and then i have to i have to say this too haitians are experts at gallows humor and yeah. you know so it's like 
making a joke of um, how hard things are is just a constant thing. They're just, uh, you know, always laughing at themselves and their situation. And, and definitely I was just beginning to understand that type of humor among them. And, you know, it's, it takes a different form than probably how we would say it, but that is just a huge part of it. Just laughter in the midst of, um, everyday life, you know, just a common greeting. You say sock up that, you know, kind of, how's it going? And right away, everyone just says not bule, which means we're burning. And that's just, you know, well, we're burning, you know, it's just that kind of humor. <laughs> And there's it more, sounds, more in that than sounds, just how hot it is. It's more okay. Like our lives are on fire, you know. Wow, wow. But 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 they, you know, it's it, it is interesting too. Again, like you never want to idealize because so many of them. Because the other thing with Haiti is that it was prior. It was at one point one of the richest countries in all of the Western Hemisphere. And I did a previous <clears throat> podcast on Toussaint Louverture. Yeah. And also the site of the only successful slave revolt, I think, in, in world history. Yeah. And yeah. I think after they freed themselves from the French, uh, they essentially were locked out. Uh, you know, essentially it was payback. And they went into sort of a long, slow decline, really new th through no fault of their own, uh, because they lost a lot of these trading partners and there aren't a lot of resources there. So there's a, there's a lot of different complexities to that. But I, I, I just think in terms of, um, you know, it's such an interesting culture. And, you know, I also love uh, Stoicism. And do you know that Toussaint Louverture was a Stoic? Ooh. And he, he actually, I, I think he studied the work of Epictetus. And the reason is, is that he knew a lot of the, the French revolutionaries, French cult, he was, you know, a, a very educated person and he loved the work of Epictetus. And I was reading Marcus Aurelius Meditations the other day and there was a passage that he had quoted in Meditations from Epictetus and it said, humans, corpses walking around with a wisp of a soul. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know why that struck me as really funny. Uh, it just did. And I, and I think in terms of like, um, you know, Haiti also has in terms of life and death, it is very stoic in the sense, and they obviously have voodoo, and I'm sure you learned a lot about some of their um, voodoo religion as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so take me through some of the, the, the spiritual realm of a lot of the Haitians that you observed and um, you, you came with a Christian perspective, but you were also learning a ton in terms of their own worldview uh, in terms of what they could teach you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I have to say one thing, I really enjoyed your um, podcast with Levy Lee, hearing that. And um, when he was telling that history, um, I'm sure he knows this, but he, he didn't include something that most of your listeners would find really fascinating, which is when Napoleon and those in power at that time were trying to retake Haiti, they, they measured, they made a calculated decision to sell the Louisiana purchase to generate funds to try to retake Haiti. Wow. So that, if, if that gives you an idea of the perspective of how valuable the country was perceived to be. Um, you know, that what you remember in grade school, we learned that Thomas Jefferson bought that for 15 million or whatever it was, you know, all the land where we live today in the upper Midwest, that that money was used to try to recapture Haiti um, because Haiti, you know, was 10 times that valuable at that time.
Well, and it makes so much sense. You know, it's one of those things that I, I, you know, the things that you affirmatively learn as a child and things that you don't learn, how we didn't learn about Toussaint Louverture. And Haiti isn't just some country. I would argue, and this isn't just an after-the-fact celebration of Haiti, I would argue it's probably one of the most important countries of the Western Hemisphere. And here's why. You are absolutely correct. I always sort of wondered, why in the heck did Napoleon, what an idiot, why would he sell, or at least agree not to fight? I mean, because he really wasn't selling. He was agreeing that he wouldn't fight the United States if it took the Louisiana Okay, yeah. Why would he do that? Mm-hmm. Why would he do that? And he would do that because um, he had lost control of Haiti. Yeah. And mm-hmm. why is that important? Because Haiti was this huge source of wealth. And what did you need to sell, like, in terms of your sugar? Where would you sell that? New Orleans, which was also French. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't have Haiti, then it's much, it's much harder just strategically to conquer New Orleans and to hold New Orleans because you don't have a port. So you can't really you don't have a place to sell all the money that you're making. So it becomes a lot less valuable to have New Orleans. So who knows? We will never have that. It's a wonderful life. What would have happened had <laughs> Toussaint Louverture not been alive and not defeated the French? Yeah. And it had remained a French colony. Would have they had an incentive to fight for New Orleans and to establish a toehold and to not agree to fight? So, so it really is this super important country that we almost know nothing about. And now it really is just, if, if you, if you, uh, you know, it's, you talk about the poverty and, and the struggles that they have, but one thing I want to take you back to, you had also talked about um, that a lot of them were unemployed, um, but working all the time. And I think that's so important to emphasize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, in our culture, we always talk about jobs, 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 which of course are important. I think in terms of emphasizing that it's to work, to live, um, and also you can be extremely productive, even if you're unemployed. And that's absolutely super high unemployment rates, but people working and unproductive or productive for themselves in Haiti on a day-to-day basis. That's what you observe, even with quote unquote unemployed people, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that people have to remember is that when you, are in a developing country and you don't have a strong government to enforce labor laws and um, wages and so forth, you know, it, you have to calculate whether or not you can afford to take a job if it comes to you. So just, you would see these um, traveling laborers and they are getting on, you know, the, the trucks going out to job sites or, um, markets or whatever it may be, you know, at 3 a.m. and you see them lined up to travel a few hours to whatever job, work for 10, 12 hours in the heat of the day, come home. And I have no idea what they're even getting paid for this kind of job. And and you wonder how long uh, a body could support that kind of work. You know what I mean? And so uh, not only that, it takes away life rather than giving. I mean, yeah. you, you, the basis of a job is to get money to be able to support your family and to, and to live your life. That's the purpose of a job. But if you're in that area where you're close to the ocean and you can fish and maybe you have a little plot of land 
and you could choose between 15 hours a day with no labor and endangering your life yeah. mm-hmm. or uh, living your life, uh, you know, with fish and, and, you know, in service and, you know, trying to get by, what choice do you take? Well, that, that's an easy one, right? I mean, was there a lot of fishing in that area that you observed? There was some, yeah, but it was, um, pro- it's not the kind of fishing that anyone could just go do. Um, the people who yeah, did, put your yeah, in. the people who did it well did it on teams um, using kind of nets, um, either from boats or from the shore um, that they're using to uh, catch kind of commercial size fish. But um, I didn't really see many, you know, individuals or families just trying to catch a few fish for lunch or whatever. How how how, how close were you to the beach? Um, and describe that for our listeners too. Uh, probably like three or three blocks away distance and but where we would spend our time the schools and churches and stuff were a lot uh, along a road that was just you know 50 feet from the ocean and as I traveled throughout the region a lot of times I'd be riding my motorcycle along these ocean roads and just pull over and just look at the beauty you know because it's just really amazing you know it, it really, it, it's a spiritual experience. Yeah. And, um, and I want to still answer really your amazing. question too, about the, the spiritual atmosphere in Haiti. Um, well, well, yeah, yeah. So let's, so let's, let's get back to that and focus on, you came from the Christian perspective, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were also immersed in a culture with this wonderful, deep, rich tradition of um, spirit religions and voodoo and various things like that. So so, so talk a little bit about what you were sharing, but also the spiritual world that you learned too, because I think a lot of times we think about missionary as being a one-way street, but I know for you, it was this rich tapestry of exchange and mutual learning yeah, yeah. Um, that you experienced. And, um, you know, there's a saying in Haiti um, that you can put what percentages you want on it. It's half Catholic and then maybe a third um, Protestant and then maybe 10% other religions or whatever, but then a hundred percent voodoo. And so yeah. that's just a common saying because it's, you know, voodoo is an important part of who the people are, um, regardless of whether they're Christian or not. And it's, it's kind to me, it's kind of like you could say in the United States, no matter what religion people are, they're also consumerist or materialistic. Yeah. That's kind of our voodoo, you know. It's a it's a it's a coloring yeah. of everything that we do, no matter what our other beliefs are. It's a philosophy of yeah. life. Uh-huh. You know, with my love of stoicism and my late life, you know, rediscovery, I think of Christian values. Um, you know, we talk about philosophy as if it's some sort of thing that academics do in 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 some university where they argue about the you know whatever. Uh, you know, deontological and all these words that I don't understand, as opposed to, no, no, no. Philosophy is a way of life. It's a way of experiencing the world. And it's a way of, it's your culture. And voodoo is culture. It is religion. It's so, so, so tell me about what you learned sure. about this incredibly rich tradition of voodooism in, in Haiti. Well, um, a lot of what I observed was, the, you know, through their, um, observances of Christianity, which are um, inspiring and challenging in different ways, and um, you know, taught us a lot, stretch us a lot. First of all, their um, endurance for 
engaging in worship and singing is is amazing. And um, you know, it's, Sunday morning is more of a like three or four hour worship service um, mixed with different teachings and testimonies and and things like that. And um, and so it's kind of amazing what all they engage in um, and and just social interaction as well. And what we learned um, was that, you know, the people there, it, 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 just to put it bluntly, have a lot um, stronger faith than I do or most Americans, you know, because they need to, you know, they, most of them, you know, daily life involves a lot of challenges and crisis. So their prayers are really determined and their prayers are really, with a sense of urgency and need. And, and yeah. sometimes I think we have a hard time getting to that point. Um, and, but also some of what made their faith, I would say um, inspiring yet uh, challenging is just very uh, dogmatic or uh, literal um, readings of scripture. So like um, a lot of people would, would say to you, you know, I, I would love to be a Christian um, I, I believe in Jesus, you know, and I, I love Jesus and, and the God of Christianity, but I, I know that once I give myself to that, then I have to follow everything that he taught. Um, and so just a, a great example would be people would say to you like, well, Jesus said that if someone comes to you and asks for something and they're in need, then you give that to them. And so a person in Haiti would be like, well, um, you know, I want to follow Jesus, but I know that once I tell my community that I'm a Christian, then people will come to my door and ask for my stuff and ask for my food. And I have to give it to them because that's what the Bible teaches. And, and so that, like I said, that's inspiring, you know, to be (laughs) that dedicated to living it out, what you say you believe, but at the same time, um, I think there's a little nuance in what Jesus was saying there, um, you know, and we could we could exegete that. But anyway, like so sometimes their faith was very legalistic. Um, they had mm-hmm. some cultural practices which we would really shy away from, such as if a person tries to enter your church service and they don't have on really nice clothes, you know, the, the deacons would literally beat them out of the building and throw them on the street, you know? So you're, there's some things like that that you um, aren't comfortable with, but overall their faith was really inspiring. And as it pertains to voodoo, you know, I, I can't claim to like really understand what all the teachings and practices of voodoo are. I've read books on it. I've witnessed some of that firsthand, but um, I think there's a diversity in beliefs there that I can't really claim to explain all the nuance to that. But overall, I would just say that faith in Haiti has uh, an element or a flavor of fear to it. So even if, yeah. if it's Christian, um, the, the voodoo influence would be a kind of a fear of God and his punishment and always um, being afraid that uh, if we do something wrong um, or don't do the right things, then we'll lose favor with him. You know, he'll be mad and cause us to be sick or punish us or whatever it may be. And, you know, some Christians might argue that we've lost 
a healthy fear of God, you know, understanding what that phrase fear of God means in a healthy way, because um, it's in the Bible hundreds of times. So there's something behind that. But, you know, overall, myself, you know, I believe in a loving God who has, is filled with grace um, and mercy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's not about us doing everything perfectly. It's more about faith. And I think they believe that too, but it's still colored by a little bit of that fear, a little bit of that ritual that has to do with voodoo. Voodoo has a lot to do with fear. And we saw some of the negative effects of that. Um, Like any religion, it has um, economic uh, implications. So you would see really poor people as a last desperate effort, you know, turn over whatever wealth um, or items that they had to a voodoo leader in hopes of doing some sort of ritual to help them heal from a sickness or make their crop good or whatever. And, and nothing happens. So then, you know, now they're even more poor than when they began. So, but you could, you know, the, the The cynic could point at, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. And and I think you bring up a good point though, Corey, is that, I, I, you had talked about sort of the background DNA of the United States, it's consumerism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd agree with you 100%, especially post-World War II, in that that's really the backdrop for so much of our culture is commodity yeah. consumption. That what makes you rich and what makes you happy is accumulation of commodities. And that's informed our spiritual practice. So, so often we talk about quote-unquote Christianity. What we're really talking about is 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 influenced by the last six to 70 years of commodity christianity where it's you know and i think that has altered this just incredibly rich resilient tradition that that has so much wisdom in terms of its incorporation of the hebrew tradition and the greek and the um, religions that it that it intersected with in terms of absorbing all of these these rituals and these sorts of things and I think of like, I think of voodoo. Voodoo is, is also religion of life and the spirit and culture and connection. And that, that, can, that, that can be incorporated into this. And that's what Christianity did. I mean, in terms of as it spread throughout Europe, it did incorporate a lot of these religions in terms of like the summer yeah. solstice, mm-hmm. you know, that they adopted. Uh, the Yule was, was basically a pagan tradition. So I think a lot of times we shy away from that, but no. It's the creator that, that has made this kaleidoscope of the spirit that's now unified in this sort of overarching theory, but we don't need to be afraid of that. And we can openly discuss the limitations. And I think as long as Christians, you know, Slavoj Zizek, the, the philosopher says that the greatest sign of self-respect is to sub- subject your friend to ruthless criticism. As long as we can subject our own faith and our own belief to the same critical self-reflection that we identify with others. Absolutely, cultures. yeah. I think that healthy, that healthy. So, so when we identify things that we can maybe learn, as long as we ruthlessly criticize our own perspective, our own deficiencies, then then we can engage in these really positive cross-cultural. <clears throat> and I, I wish there would be more Haitians that would come evangelize yeah, to us, absolutely, and yeah. teach us, and, and spread this this wonderful message of you know positivity. And I and I've known some Haitians; they've just been tremendously wonderful yeah. people. And, and I think a lot of times it's either one of two things: it's either we we have this sort of very simplified version of Christianity that we try to spread, 
or we're like, oh, we're not going to say anything at all. And we're just going to be in our own little silo. Well, I just don't believe that's humanity. Humanity is the process of exchanging and growing and supporting one another. And as long as those relationships are based upon mutual respect and shared uh, love for one another on an equal footing, that's where it grows. Where it does not grow is where there's uh, the asymmetry. Well, you yep. must believe this mm-hmm. in exchange for that. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's where then it can become. And Rock, I have a book to recommend to you right along these lines. Um, and um, is that okay if I do that right here? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because Friends of the Rocky Cats, you also have, in addition to one book, <laughs> we're going to get one one Greek word at a later point, and we're also going to get one of Corey's favorite proverbs. So, but yeah, so now he's going to give us the book. Okay, I have to tell you something that you're just going to love because this is right up your alley. So as a pastor in a little church, I have like a, little budget each year where I can buy books and stuff like that. And wouldn't you love that if that was, you know, part of your job, someone else buying you books? Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh, that'd be heaven. That, that's, that's my goal in the Rocky cast is I can talk and I have people that actually listen. Maybe I get paid to read books someday. So that, that's my heaven. So at the end of the year, I'll go on like clearance things on different websites and just see like what books they've marked down to a few bucks. And just order like a hundred books, you know, and just try to find some gems in there. Well, I found this one um, and it's called The Vision and Voices of New Friars. So, you know, like the old traveling preachers and and kind of probably in the England area, the friars. So this, but this is stories of people living cross-culturally all around the world and so I want to bring an idea from that, um, exactly what you're just talking about, because this was so refreshing for me. You know, after, I suppose when I was a kid or a very young adult, I naively thought that missionary work or, how, you know, or international justice work or whatever is all about Americans bringing our superior knowledge and experience to the world and sharing that um, or faith, whatever it may be. And, you know, over time, you realize that, you know, God is working everywhere and people have incredible wisdom of their own. And you need to share like you're talking about um, on equal terms. But I think um, because of things we've experienced, there there have been times when I've swung too far and said, um, you know, I, I have actually said, you know, Americans should just leave Haiti alone and stop interfering in their politics and their economy and all this stuff. And um, I think they'd be better off without us. Um, and and I, what this book taught me is to put things in more of like uh, three categories. So like if you think about Iowa City, for example, it's the culture there is rich because you have, an, and the way that this book talks about it is um, remainers, returners, and relocators all mixed together. So so there's people oh that gosh. grow up there and have a special um, wisdom because they've lived there their whole life and they have a sense of place there and they have something to say. And there's people that grew up there but moved away to who knows where in the world and gained some other perspective and experience, but then felt a, a sense of call to return there. Um, and then finally, relocators are people that just straight up grew up somewhere else in the world and bring their wisdom there. So all three of those groups make it a rich place together. And 
So if you're going to think yeah. about a developing nation, you know, there's going to be people who have always lived there and they have unique culture and wisdom and, but also their own blind spots. And then there's people who grew up there, but got out and um, experienced something of the world and then come back and bring that. So they're kind of the bridge builders. And then, but there is a place for relocators in this world. You know, like you said, wouldn't it be great if Haitians were missionaries to Iowa? And actually that is happening. Um, and other cultures too. And, you know, so relocators have a unique way of um, seeing things clearly that we're overlooking our own blind spots, you know, and, and. Exactly. And friends of the Rocky cast, we're going to, Corey will send me that link and I'm going to put it in the, in the show notes at rockycole.com. And hopefully you'll click on that and you'll buy it from Amazon and that will help fund the Rocky cast. So I'm going to put it in the show notes and you will hopefully buy that. It'll be really good. But yeah, so I, I, I think this is really exciting. I love this concept of the friar. Yeah. That's a very sort of European term in terms of like, and the way I vision of that is sort of a simple person that sort of has a certain joviality. <laughs> I don't know if that, maybe that's a stereotype. But you know, a jovial friar. And I think of like friar friars tuck. in Bavaria. Friar probably tuck sharing, from... Probably sharing Share a little beer, maybe a little of a pot belly, you know, and, and I think both, you know, Christians and I think, you know, I think sometimes secular liberals, they get into too much, you know, no scrunching and sucking on lemons and just sort of like, you know, they, they, they just sort of need to chill out and yeah. spread the joy. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think as long as we come from a, piece, a, a place of spreading joy and wonder to others, acting in mutual solidarity with one another, I don't have any problem with sharing the wisdom of, of a particular culture and experience. Um, you know, we, I, we're going to get to our, our favorite proverb, uh, but, you know, I, I think too often that we rely on our identity based upon what we say and believe as opposed to what we do. So I think in terms of Christians that, that have a more evangelical perspective, the greatest thing they can do is not only what they say to believe or what they, um, you know, beliefs they espouse, yeah. but what they do. That is the best. That is the best formation of your identity, and 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 listening is a uh, identity and an action. So if you come to a new place and you have something to share, if if the first thing you can do is to open your heart and listen to the wisdom of the culture that you're that you're with, I think that is the greatest thing that you can do. Um, you know, in terms of moving forward. And so it sounds like you've really come to this rich understanding. It's like, hey, I have my own perspective. But I also learned so much from Haiti and from voodoo and from Christianity, and they're nothing, they're nothing to fear. They are, and, and one of the things that's wonderful about Christianity is the way it, it interweaves all these wonderful traditions um, yeah. as far as mm -hmm. that goes. So you have this incredible original experience, and then at some point you decide to come back to Haiti and actually to make a year of it. So <clears throat> take the audience a little bit through this process of, you spent this amazing, life-changing experience with this wonderful culture, people, and, and uh, nation, and you decide to make a full year out of it. So, so take the listeners through that thought Well, um, you know, it was not just me. It was my wife and our three kids, which were age eight, six, and four, roughly. And, you know, so living there was um, trying to adjust to a whole different lifestyle and but we really enjoyed that um and it, actually we intended to stay there much longer um and my long-term project was developing this 
international ministry training school where students were um, to come from around Haiti and the U.S. and eventually Canada and maybe other nations and um, just live cross-culturally and develop skills for um, um, doing cross-cultural work and and, uh, Bible knowledge, things like that. But um, we were building that campus, had a lot of the funding for that. And but then we began to get feedback from leaders in our community, some positive, some negative on um, the work that Americans were doing in the region and what they would like to see changed or improved. And we would funnel that feedback back to the, the board we were serving under. And it led to a lot of conflict. They kind of, I feel like, attacked the messenger, which was us. And, um, and so that gets into issues of, you know, colonialism from Americans down there and, and getting feedback from, you know, local leaders. It, it was not, it was not. No, an equal no. So we, and, and if, it, and if it's not an absolute mutual solidarity, I am at the front of the line. Yeah. To get out. Uh, if, it, if it does come. And I think the other thing too, in terms of Christianity, it must come from a place right. of humility. If it comes from a point of arrogance and domination, and I know that I know you you weren't dominating, but I think that viewpoint, what you just mentioned, is a critique that we need to be skeptical of. And again, people that are defensive who are Christians, I say this because of my most unending respect, is that you need to subject yourself to ruthless criticism. And I hope that you will do the same with the rocking cat if you think it sucks. Let me know if it's not. <laughs> and I will consider that I will consider that a sign of affection. I think our culture does not celebrate critique yeah. and feedback. And it sounds like you're in a situation where you were not able to approach in humility and love and mutual solidarity. And so you had to move on. Is is that one of the Well, happening? Yeah. I we just disagreed with the other leaders in that organization about what our mission was there you know ours was how do we raise up local people to lead all these initiatives or to change it into what they think is right and then get out you know let people run it and theirs was more of a how do we stay here and get more control and be here as long as we can and that's kind of oversimplifying it but in the end we we felt like those two visions weren't compatible so we we came back um, to the u.s and it, you know, the other thing, yeah, and I just want to say that kind of like the shock and the curiosity of moving to a different country like that, you have that same feeling when you move back and you, you look at things differently and they kind of shock you. Um, I just remember driving down the interstate and looking at billboards and just having this feeling of like, what is all this stuff for, you know? It's kind of, a, and then you, you drive along a city and there's a hundred restaurants and there's all these diversions and those are great things, but having lived without that, you know, for a year and really it was almost two years that I was going down there. It's, you see it differently when you come back and it's kind of. Well, and let's, ex- let's explore that, Corey, because I got into this a little bit with the, billing le- the Billingsleys of Singapore, which, by the way, Stacey and Kevin, if you're listening to this, I have to be your new, <laughs> your new drama, the Billingsleys of Singapore. 
Um, they talked about this concept of reverse uh-huh. culture shock. And whenever we're in a culture, we are swimming in a fishbowl that is just natural. And it's you just view it as in the order of things. And I think one of the things that we really forget in the United States, both in right as well as left, what I've observed is the sheer amount of anger and stress that permeates the culture. I, I observed that when I came back to the United States. Our country has so much anger across the spectrum. Uh, did you experience that uh, when you came back? Why is everyone so angry and stressed <laughs> out all the time? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so um, isolated, you know, people go through whole days isolated without having a face to face conversation with another human being. And that is so different. So different. You know, well, you know, it's sort of funny, Corey, you know, with my whole love of this paleo stuff. And I was thinking of pale, I, I could be a paleo Christian. <laughs> what do you think about that? We could start a new movement. Paleo Christianity. <laughs> Um, but one of the things that I, I love about the paleo movement is that they're going back to study these hunter-gatherer uh-huh. now yeah. to try to learn from the wisdom that they've been doing for 50,000 years and that we've totally yeah. forgotten. And one of the things I think we've forgotten as a culture is that what gives us joy is not the consumption of commodities. I think everyone understands that. Yet it underpins almost <laughs> everything that we do, and and so you were in a you were in a a, a country that was uh, poor in terms of commodities, yeah. and poor obviously there were some probably food insecurity. So I don't want to idealize it, but rich in cultural connection, rich in supporting one another, rich in seizing the yeah. day and, and joy that at least you were able to observe. Did you really notice that just the anger and and and, the, and you mentioned the commodity like it's it's a commercial uh-huh. culture. Yeah. Um. Would do, do you feel a little bit estranged um, when you came back? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because um, some of the things that mattered to you before don't don't matter as much, and they still matter to other people, and so it's hard to engage on those topics after that. And um, it's, it's not that you're like judging them, like you're better than them now. It's just more of a I just don't think about that anymore. You know, I'm, I'm not really worried about, you know, what the newest movie coming out is, or, you know, there's a hundred things you could fill in that blank. Um, yeah. Absolutely, Corey. And, you know, part of my love of stoicism is this whole simultaneously depressing, depressing and exuberant aspect of life. The depressing part is, is we're all going to die. Like those of us who love life, it's like, oh, I don't want to die. But the realization, the Stoics always talked about it, you could die at any moment that you, in 200 years, Corey, no one will remember this <laughs> conversation or what we say or do here. And we yeah. will be dust to dust. And, and by the way, Stoicism influences Christianity yeah. too, dust mm-hmm. to dust, ashes to ashes, right? I mean, and it's just sort of, you know, to, to return to eternity in the creator. I mean, that that's even very Christian. And that's what Stoics yeah. talked a lot about that too. Why does why doesn't that make us depressed? Why does that actually make us exuberant? Well, it makes us exuberant because uh, because even though we know that we're going to die into the future, we're yeah. not dead uh-huh. now, and we also know we only have so many of these spring days. So if we know they're really limited, we're like, oh, I could die tomorrow, so I'm not going to waste my energy worrying about <laughs> going to McDonald's or 
or who's who's doing what or latest politics or you know what's going on in right or left i'm going to value my relationships i'm going to reach out to my brother-in-law we're going to talk about haiti and i think haitians you know again i learned Toussaint Louverture. he also mm -hmm. loves stoicism but the other thing about stoicism is it does not mean inaction sure. it means action so you be zen about what you cannot control but for the things that you can your day-to-day -day, they're very active um and I think that that's really an important part of that. Um, so let's just wrap it up. I, I, and back to the stoicism of seizing the day, uh, you know, I talked to Jason Taborski and he went up to the, the Northwoods and I encourage people to, look, to listen to that other um, podcast I did. He was a lawyer that followed his dreams in his heart. Our friends, Stacy and Kevin, they've gone to Bangladesh, they've gone to Mexico and international education and now they're in Singapore. They even spent time with the, um, with the Bedouin tribes. And I think, Corey, that you went for it for that year. It didn't work out how you had mentioned, but you're not gonna you're not gonna ever wish, oh, I wish I would have followed my heart to be yeah. Haiti for a year. Yeah. You did it. Yeah. You realize it's a good that? reminder. And, and and not only that, um, do you have any regrets or or do you have this sense of gratitude that you got to live amongst this incredibly vibrant culture for a whole year? Oh yeah. I mean it's even before then, but especially after then, you know, I'm just constantly, you know, looking for interactions with people from other cultures now, you know, just to get different perspectives and honestly, just to try different foods, you know, like different music, just expand um, what's out there, you know, your appreciation of just the rich richness of other people's wisdom and culture. You know, we're always on the look for that, look out for that. And you know, we are always looking for the diviest um, kind of ethnic restaurants wherever we go, you know, where they're kind of surprised that you walk in because you're white. And, you know, that's the experience we've been yeah. looking for the last 10 years. And, and it just brought richness to our lives. I wish people could understand that, um, that that diversity piece um, of life is a big part of, you know, as a Christian we've missed that. We've missed that our God is a three in one. So he's diverse and yet uh, unified. And there's, so he's created, he's made a creation that up? is diverse yet could be unified. And, and that's his vision, you know? Yes. And, and, and I'm reading this really good book. Um, it's called Sapien. And I'm about ready to tell someone, tell everyone a fact that's going to like blow your mind. I'll put this in the show notes too. It's called Sapiens, A Brief, Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. <laughs> I'm about halfway through, but he talks about all the different species of humanity. Do you know at one point there were six different um, <clears throat> no. species? Did you know that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to channel our friend Daryl Bosma whoa when i found out about that it was so cool but here's what will doubly blow your mind in terms of our shared humanity Corey. homo sapien unquestionably came out of africa right so we are all uh -huh. descendants of africa this cradle of civilization and at one point now anthropologists correct me if i'm wrong the human species that is homo sapiens got down to 10 thousand homo sapiens on the entire planet no Did you uh -uh. Know that wow story? so what i love about that is is that 
all these different cultures, they really are our long lost cousins. Even though we have different melanin in our skin and diff different skin pigment, they are our brothers and sisters, you know, and they are part of the creator. And I think so often we forget that. And, I, and here's the other thing with being brothers and sisters is that with brothers and sisters, you, you, you can tell them what you think. You don't have to hold back. So you can tell them what you think. You can share your culture. You can share your language. You can share your food. Uh -huh. And they will share with you. And, um, and I think with Haiti, it, it just captured my soul. I'm hoping to interview Josh White. Uh, he's doing a medical mission. At some point, I'm going to connect you two. And um, Corey, are you going to, are you going to, what's next? Are, are you going to return to Haiti? I mean, I know it will always be part of your soul. Are you planning if to I do, time soon? If or, I do, it will um, be more kind of on a hunt for young, um, gifted musicians that are trying to get their music out to the world. You know, that's kind of what I'm searching awesome. for now to find the next Bob Marley, you know, not, not to make myself famous, but just, oh my you know, people like that. It's hard enough to get your music out to the world. If you are, you know, a privileged person like me um, with the resources to do it. And so much less somebody in a country like that, okay. that, you know. Okay. So everyone, it's a sneak preview. We're going to do a rock and cast <laughs> from Port-au-Prince and we're going to, and, and, and Norman Marlis are going to pay for it. So if they're listening to it, they're going to, and we could maybe invite Adam. Adam might be able to come, but he's sort of your little brother. So if he's lucky. <laughs> Um, he might be able to come, and I suppose our spot. Uh, we'll 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 tell. Well, we need my wife later, to okay, interpret. Corey? So, um, you know. yeah, well, yeah, and, and Lynn, I'm telling you, my mom always talks about giants in the kingdom. Lynn, oh my gosh, you totally lucked out. <laughs> you both did, right? I mean, it's like we got we got these awesome spouses, and well, Mara has so to Lynn be there just, because if you saw, um, the, uh, um. Uh, what's the the guy he passed away a couple of years ago but he did a famous one in haiti where he travels um beyond borders yeah so Anthony in Bourdain. he dug yes. into the Anthony art Bourdain. scene there you know so there's same way with music and art there's these people producing creative works with no budget no chance to ever be discovered and get it out to the world and wasn't Basquiat? Wasn't Basquiat Haitian? You know, he, I think he was a famous artist in New York. Could be, so could be, be yeah. Haitian, but I could be wrong. So you yeah. know, Mara can yeah. search out some artists that need to be known, and I'll look for the musicians. So, oh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we're able to do that. I, I know that there's been some challenges. There. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. You've heard that. I think the security situation isn't quite as good, but but I, I think to some degree it's. You know, I heck, living in the United States carries its own perils. So I, I think we still want to try to make it work. So, friends of the Rocky Cast, we're going to finish things up. But I did promise you that we're going to do, well, let, let's just do one word from the okay. Greek New Testament and why that word is important. So, let's start from with the that. book of First Timothy, there's in the greeting um, the word epitage. So, Paul always writes. Um, uh, and yeah, epitage. Oh my God, that's so cool! It sounds just like Epictetus. It sounds like epic. So epitage. Oh, so, so cool. You know, in all the standard greetings in these letters, um, Paul will introduce himself as called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And if you know Paul's story, he had this um, conversion experience, and it was he saw the glory of God and so forth. But 
in this letter and only this letter, he says, epitage, so I was commanded to be an apostle. And the interesting thing about First Timothy is it's all about authority. It's all about why does this young man, Timothy, yeah. have the right to go into a church and speak truth and even sometimes rebuke people that are older, wiser, richer. And um, it's because he has this epitage behind him through Paul. So it's um, a sense of authority. And, you know, I was thinking about that. We all struggle with that. That's part of our culture, too, is we don't want anyone to have authority over us. And we've seen that in the last year, you know, everybody resisting authority on every side of the political spectrum. You know, we don't want yeah. other people to tell us how to think or live. But one of the neat things about Christian faith for me is just finding someone, in this case, Jesus, who is deserves that authority or has earned that authority to just say, you know, here's someone that I could submit myself to. And he, you know, his authority would actually bring about wholeness in my life, you know, and, um, and so that's kind of the neat thing for me of being a Christian is finally finding someone that's worth giving authority to in your life and, and saying, here's someone I could follow and obey. Even that's a word we don't like to say obey. And so, but what does that look like? You know, what, how do you actually live that out? Like you said, how do you live it out? It's alignment with the creator. Yeah. I, I mean, you talk about the Trinity, it's alignment with creation and, and, and the creator. And, and I think that that ultimately is a message of good news. As long as, it, what is that word again? Uh, no C, just E-P-I-T-A-G-E would be the kind of okay. alliteration epitage. of that. Yeah. yeah epitage. So here's the deal with that. So here's my take on epitage. Epitage. Oh, I feel really smart now that I say epitage. You are really smart, Rock. Um, epitage. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Um Epitage is great as long as it's it's conferred to yeah. sources of actual yeah. authority and the creator, you know, which has been around for 13 points that uh, transcends all time. Epitage is not good. Epitage is not good if it's just uh, epitage to me, yeah. my authority, my domination. Uh, if you confer an act in humility and confer epitage, uh, to others as a sign of mutual self-respect. I'm all aboard epitage. And I know that like you approach that in terms of your own ministry as epitage, that there's authority, but then there's also, um, you know, again, mutual support and love for one another. So that's yep. how I interpret that. Oh, that's just great. I love, you know, the thing is too, I think we Christians, we forget about the <laughs> Greek and Hebrew and the wisdom and all this early stuff. So I'm also hoping that I'm going to be able to learn uh, wow. the Lord's Prayer yeah. in Aramaic. And I'm, I'm going to totally trip out if I'm able to do that. So that's the one on the Greek word that's so cool, epitage. You also promised one proverb. So I want to hear the okay, proverb. Okay, so you, this, um, this is at first going to sound really arrogant, but I want to share a, a, a proverb that I uh, wrote or actually collected from a very, very remote tribe. Um, uh, in a tradition of the Grimm brothers, um, the Grimm's go around collecting stories and proverbs. Um, the Grimm brothers didn't actually write all the fairy tales. They collected them from the people. So in this case, um, 
And um, one of my unfinished projects of hundreds is to write a children's book collecting proverbs from um, the most remote of tribes of all, which is the monkeys, the actual monkeys. And they don't call them proverbs, they call them poverbs. Um, but this proverb is, so I have all these proverbs from the monkeys that I'm collecting and um, because they have a wisdom of their own. And this is the most basic proverb of the monkeys. And I'm sort of trying to be funny here, but actually these, these are like an amalgamation of real proverbs, but just put in like a children's book setting through the monkeys. So the monkeys will say, okay. um, and, you know, they don't say it in a language we could understand. It's more of their squeaks and whatever, but they, but they basically say yeah. um, the most literal translation of this proverb is one monkey sad, two monkeys happy. And so it, um, where there is one monkey, he'll be a sad monkey. Where there are two monkeys, they will be happy monkeys. And I just thought that was a, and oh, so this children's book has all these simple sayings like that. But the idea is, you know, the isolation. I don't know if you've seen the, the effects that isolation is having on people. I see this in the church setting. It's it's bringing out some of that anger and fear that you talked about of our culture. And people are just afraid and they're lonely and they're hurting and they act out in some really unhealthy ways. But, you know, that proverb, proverb is the same you know one monkey sad two monkeys happy <laughs> yeah we got to make the name of the book the happy monkey oh that's good happy monkeys that's gonna be it so oh a lot of wisdom uh so yeah that that's really cool and then we we had promised also i want so i i think cory like i'm not bragging but i think like cory is like iowa back he, he has all different types of music and so we're going to close with like one of Corey's yeah. latest like creations. And it's going to be really, really, I haven't even listened to it yet, but I know it's going to be good vibe. So what, what uh, track are we going to play? Oh, for to um, close it out? I was going to talk about a song that I'm writing, but I will give you a track that I have recorded a demo okay. on already. So you want me to talk about one of those instead? Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. So, so the listeners can actually hear. Okay. So, what you're talk um, about. I would say a good one uh, that I just recorded is called Two in One. And um, I've written a lot of songs. Yeah. It's like Happy Monkeys. <laughs> That's why I think like I was, happy monkeys. I was reminded of that. But I've written a lot of songs about marriage um, and, you know, long term relationships the last year. And um, this is, is one, and the chorus just says, let's remain instead of run in the coldest rain, in the hottest sun. They may say we're fools in love, but that's what it takes to fit two in one. Let's fit two in one. So there's, it, it's, you know, it's really neat. This is, I've been studying how marriage is something that, I believe God created to model who he is to the world. Like I was saying, you know, God, as I understand him, is three persons in one. And there's a, an incredible love within that relationship that God would go so far as to say, God is love, I am love. 
And yet those three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are distinct, um, yet one, and, and yet the differences remain. So thinking of marriage as two people that are distinct, yet one, um, just exploring the beauty of what it means to remain instead of run and, and see that through for a long, long period of time. And I think you could apply that to all relationships. You know, I, traveling is really neat and really powerful, you know, to spend a year or some time in a different culture. But um, there's something powerful about staying somewhere and immersing and truly understanding a culture and being, as Jesus would say, incarnational in that culture um, and walking side by side with the people long term. I think sometimes we forget that, too. Um, there's something about relationships that go on for decades too and and a and kind of the sacredness of a certain place too um wherever that place may be somewhere even as remote as primgar iowa um or you know for most people even iowa city would be remote um to the rest of the world so this this song two in one explores what it means to remain instead of run That that's good because I think so often running is running is is a cop out a lot of times and I think sometimes people need changes and I think it can also be a sign of healthy growth but so often you go where you run and if you're not willing to work on your own issues in your own community and not making it better where you're at then running isn't really going to solve anything whether it's running from a relationship or from a profession or whatever maximize sort of where you are to start um and i think to do that through through music yeah is really and, awesome. and this song rock musically it starts with a little piece at the beginning that will remind people who've heard haitian music it'll remind you of the guitar parts you hear in their their native music haitian compa so that's really fitting too if you want to hear an american attempting to play some guitar parts that kind of remind you of haitian music um that's what this music starts with Comedy 
Do you have any Haitian <laughs> recipes yeah, that, yeah, you, that she you've does. learned? Uh, maybe Lynn or so. So send me send me uh, some Haitian recipes, sure. and we'll, yeah. we'll put a link on those. And any Haitian uh, uh, a musical artist that we should yeah. celebrate for our our listeners uh, that that we can. So so send. So what we'll do is we will send a, a Haitian recipe, uh, some Haitian <laughs> uh, rock stars that people should be familiar of because. You know it's a powerful culture when even just the mention of the word, word brings joy and sunshine and food and culture and, and religion and experience to you in the present moment. And I hope that that's what we achieved in this in this particular podcast. Well, I tell you what, Corey, thank you so much 
for participating in the Rocking Cast. I think you're doing awesome work. And I'm hoping we can do future episodes on the Rocking Cast and maybe at some point a one on the Grimm brothers, the cool uh, Adam <laughs> and Corey Brim as they as they you know venture yes. off and do their next music. Sounds good. Tour. Yeah. Are you up for it? I'll 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 I want to just end by giving you a, a benediction. May every day begin with coffee cake. Ooh. Oh, I, <laughs> hey, I got to tell you something. I, I, I can't end on that. So Norman Marlis Grimm, they make the best coffee cake. And then they have, oh, I got a good thing. I'm going to post the egg thing on the, on the show notes. So go to rockycold.com to my blog and the egg bake is like so good. So on a, on a holiday morning, you have the coffee cake that Norm makes and then you have egg bake, which is to just cheesy potatoes for, and then <laughs> top it all off. Yes. It's, it's, with, with cornflakes. It's like it's the trinity of starch. breakfast. And yeah, it's a trinity of breakfast and paleo people. It is not paleo. So you're gonna you're gonna have like insulin spike and you're gonna be exhausted and you're gonna be like in a food coma, but it may be just maybe one of the most joyous days of your life. But just make sure all three recipes start with a stick of butter if that gives you any Ooh, I I maybe that makes it paleo, right? The butter. So all right. Well, we will post those links. And this, I tell you what, Corey, this is one of my best rocking casts so far. Thank you so much. And in- Whoa, I feel like Joey Lawrence. That was really good. It was because of this awesome guest, Corey Grimm. Check out rockneycole.com. I'm going to post all everything related to Corey Grimm, his music, some of the Haitian recipes. I'm even going to post some of the recipes from the Grimm family household, like eggy stuff and cheesy potatoes and green bean casserole like all the really good midwestern cuisine so check it out rocknicole.com and the new friars book that Corey had talked about but for next episode i'm really excited we're going to be interviewing a guy named linford begay uh, a member of the navajo nation who grew up in decora um, after he turned 14. So it's going to be a really interesting episode. Uh, Lynn is going to talk about what it was like to grow up in Decora, Iowa, as a member of the uh, Navajo Nation. He's going to tell you how he got there, his life experience, and what led him to Decora, Iowa. So I hope you enjoy this particular episode. He's currently in Nebraska, but I think you'll find the story of Lynn Begay totally fascinating. So next up, the Viking Navajo, Lynn Begay.